Welcome to the Teach Me Lit podcast. I'm Sophie Tuvey and I love talking about books and helping you to revise for English literature and go deeper in the texts you're studying. Let's look today at the presentation of Hell in Dr Faustus. One of the first things to talk about is the very obvious physical presence of Hell or representation of Hell on the stage. So you've got characters such as Mephistopheles, Lucifer, Beelzebub and various devils who come on and off the stage at various points of the play. And all of these characters come from Hell and represent it in some way. However, what is really interesting is that a lot of the time their true nature is essentially masked on stage um, by their appearance and their costumes and the things they do. So, for example, when Mephistopheles first appears to Faustus after he's summoned him, Faustus says, "Um, you're too ugly to attend on me, Um, come back as a Franciscan friar. And so there's that sort of irony and a bit of religious satire there of Mephistopheles being dressed as a as a friar throughout the play. But in a very real sense, it shows that um, hell at its core is a place of ugliness. This is because God is the creator of beauty, so therefore hell cannot contain any beauty. And Faustus, Faustus' request to ask Mephistopheles to cover that up is, I guess, a reference to the fact that Faustus is deceiving himself, willfully deceiving himself and not seeing um, the truth about hell from the beginning of the play. So Lucifer and Mephistopheles um, and Beelzebub come on stage at various points and they persuade Faustus and entertain Faustus and they don't really reveal their true nature until the very end of the play in Act 5 when Mephistopheles and the devils come on stage to drag Faustus away. And in that sense, both the audience and Faustus are duped because we begin to see these characters as entertaining. You know, we watch the pageant of the seven deadly sins along with Faustus. We get to know Mephistopheles as the play develops and he's Faustus's constant companion. And I think even though we know deep down that, you know, Lucifer is not a good character, we become convinced, like Faustus perhaps, that these characters are maybe harmless um, and, and therefore entertainment. And it means that at the end of the play, when it's Mephistopheles himself, who is one of the devils tearing Faustus apart, there's that shocking kind of sense of betrayal that we've seen him on stage with Faustus for these kind of 24 years that have passed before our eyes. Um, and in a sense, the audience has become duped as well as Faustus. So there's a clever kind of mirroring technique happening there. Now on stage throughout the play we also have the good angel and the bad angel and they kind of crop up every time Faustus undergoes a form of temptation. Many critics have argued that the good angel is never attractive enough to manage to persuade Faustus not to do the wrong thing. So the good angel tells Faustus about repentance and prayer, um, but the bad angel is constantly luring Faustus with promises of wealth and pleasure and um, and happiness. There are, it has to be said, few voices of goodness in the play. Um, apart from the good angel, um, you've got very few characters who are championing 
championing the cause of goodness and modelling that. And so Faustus becomes surrounded by the magicians, Valdes and Cornelius, um, yes men like his servant Wagner, um, even the scholars to some degree seem ineffectual in their sort of pleas for Faustus to rethink his magic. Um, and he's surrounded by Lucifer, Mephistopheles and the devils who are obviously not real people, they're spiritual characters, but they become a replacement for any real human contact for Faustus. I think it's fair to say Faustus is in denial about the reality of hell throughout the play. Um, and that's why it's so effective that hell is not really depicted as a physical place on the stage. In the old um, Renaissance theatre, you used to have like the area below stage with trapdoors, and often that was where the devils would come from. And actually, Marlowe seems to go against this and has Lucifer appearing above the stage, looking down on Faustus, almost a sense of hell plotting Faustus's demise. But also the sense of hell being tied to a specific geographical location is questioned because the very first time that Faustus asked Mephistopheles about it, you know, how come you're not in hell then? And Mephistopheles is like, well, this is hell, nor am I out of it. Mephistopheles describes hell as a state of, of being, a state of mind, a state of damnation that goes with him wherever he goes. He knows um, the joys of heaven and he's lost them. So he's in a constant state of damnation wherever he is. Faustus has this kind of modern Renaissance ideas. In the Renaissance, they were rediscovering classical literature, which um, has its own version of hell, um, Elysium. Um, and so Faustus says to Mephistopheles, you know, I think hell's a fable. Um, he basically confounds it to Elysium, just along with these classical narratives and myths. Mephistopheles kind of wryly comments, well, yeah, you would think that until experience changed thy mind. Um, but it's true that Faustus has these kind of modern ideas. And actually what seems to be um, suggested by the play is these very orthodox, traditional, medieval ideas. So um, this is linked to the knowledge that Faustus seeks as well. Because when Faustus is saying, OK, well, what about the planets? What about um, this and what about that? Mephistopheles confirms that all these new ideas that the Renaissance was um, coming up with were right. And there isn't really any more knowledge that Faustus can gain. Um, all that Lucifer can really offer Faustus in this pact that he makes to sell his soul is entertainment. Um, and so it does seem, obviously, he's paying a very, very high price for pretty petty entertainment value. Um, and even Faust himself, as we get further through the play in Act 4, recognises that he's using his powers to focus on pleasure and he's not really considering his fate. There's the odd moment where he says, you know, what art thou, Faustus, but a man condemned to die? But he very quickly brushes off that and says, Tush, Christ did call the thief upon the cross, then rest thee, Faustus, quiet in conceit. So he doesn't really allow that that moment of fear and that panic and that sense of his fate drawing in, the reality of hell becoming more apparent. He doesn't really let that sink in and drive him to actually repent. He just brushes it off and um, goes and does something that makes him feel better. <clears throat> we really see the strong sense of Faustus's choices about hell when the old man comes on the stage and the old man is one of these final voices for goodness who appeals to Faustus for for love and not for judgment just he pleads with him to save his soul and when Faustus rejects the old man and basically turns to Helen of Troy um it's a symbol Helen of Troy herself is a symbol of destruction you know she's the face that launched a thousand ships 
what kind of ships? Well, they were warships. You know, she caused the destruction of a nation. And Faustus is, is saying, sweet Helen, make me immortal with a kiss. He wants to find the answer to his problems in all the wrong places. He's looking for immortality. He's looking for freedom from judgment, but he doesn't look in the right place. Instead of doing what the good angel and the old man have said, which is to repent, Faustus is looking for a way out through pleasure. And he needs to learn that that's not how it works. That's not the equation. If you go for pleasure on earth, then you have to pay for that in hell. Um, in throughout Act 4, we've got this constant joke about dismemberment. You know, Faustus playing jokes on um, lower born characters with his head coming off or his leg coming off. And of course, at the end of the play, when he gets dismembered, it all becomes shockingly real. So it's as if throughout the play, in the comedic section of the play, which is really that middle section after the pact has been made before Act 5 begins, we've got a massive comedic scenes, slapstick, um, a number of clown characters. Um, and you could say, well, this is really veering off what Marlowe wanted this play to be, and various critics have argued that. But on the other hand, you could argue that it's a very deliberate avoidance of presenting hell and instead presenting all of the pleasure that Faustus is, um, is winning on earth, which then makes the, re the revelation of hell in Act 5 all the more compelling because we've seen Faustus have his cake and eat it and then in Act 5 suddenly the veil comes down, there's no more masking anymore and hell itself is revealed and there's that final sort of part with the good angel and the bad angel. The good angel says, you, know, you could have had all this, you could have had this heavenly throne which descends down on stage but instead the bad angel comes up and says, here's hell. And the physical... Um, place that is described is very medieval you know he's describing pitchforks and boiling lead and torture and again it, it seems jarringly conflicting with these kind of new ideas that Marlowe's brought through Mephistopheles you know this is hell nor am I out of it with these kind of traditional medieval ideas of the physical place of pitchforks and suffering. Um, now this critic Dawkins brings up this point that Faustus is a renaissance man who had to pay the medieval price for it and I think that's just such a fantastic quote because it really it really shows how all the um, modernity of Faustus's thinking really gets cut off by this um, medieval revelation at the end but I also think it's really important given that this text is happening after the reformation that you also look at um, texts of the reformation and what they say about hell so obviously some of the big thinkers of the Reformation included Calvin. And Calvin's big theological theory was of something called predestination. The idea that God chooses who he wants to save and he chooses who he wants to damn in hell. And basically, humans don't really get a say in their fate um, because we can't choose God unless he first chooses us. So Calvin's theology um, of predestination was, was very influential and basically suggested that there are some people who are chosen to be saved, but there are others who are not. And for those who are not chosen, there's nothing they can do about that. Um, they are they are doomed. And this does link in when you look at the prologue of Faustus, where it says, heavens conspired his overthrow. 
I think that's such a crucial line because it does suggest this reformation idea of predestination, um, which also links with Greek tragedy because Greek tragedy often had a sense of the gods um, being in charge of things and humans being very helpless to do anything about that. Um, so this idea in the prologue that Faustus's fate is ordained almost by God. And there's that suggestion that comes with that, that even if Faustus had in Act 5 repented, that it wouldn't have made any difference. And that is another critical reading of the play, is that it's not just a tragedy where it's Faustus's own fault um, through his own flaw of pride and, and greed that he's fallen and ambition, but that it is also... Um, a sense of inevitability about Faustus's fate, that whatever Faustus does, he will never repent, he will never be accepted by God. And of course, we have those images in Act 5 of, firstly, Christ's blood streaming in a firmament, one drop would save my soul, but then it turns into an image of, a, of an angry, wrathful God. Um, and Faustus, throughout the play, sees God as this very absent, father figure who is angry and judgmental and not someone who is loving and would accept him so it is interesting to use these contextual ideas you've got the morality play and the medieval theology of you know you repent you go to heaven you fail to repent you go to hell and that's very much present throughout the play you've got these reformation ideas of predestination um, and how that affects whether you go to heaven or hell, which again influence the play. And you've got the influence of the genre of tragedy, which ultimately says that it's the protagonist's choice or um, the protagonist's flaw that leads to their demise. And I think in Dr. Faustus, we see all of these things working together to really present why Faustus ends up um, in hell at the end of the play and all of these things influence the presentation of hell as we um, go through the play and track it if you've enjoyed this podcast and found it helpful please hit subscribe and share it with a friend you can find me on instagram and twitter just search for teach me lit i'm always open to requests so if you want me to talk about a text you're studying get in touch thank you for listening see you next time on the teach me lit podcast